Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Father, I ask that the word this morning um, would uh, be nothing except a preparation for what you want to do. Um, Father, we just acknowledge before you that we, we get teaching and we get teaching and, um, and we just we feast on your word and what we're really hungry for is, is for your presence to come and do something to change us um, and to make us victors in a warfare. And we recognize that that is a miracle. We acknowledge in humility that becoming victors in your warfare is a miracle and it requires encounter with your Holy Spirit that changes us into those conquerors. And so we ask for that. Lord, I ask that you would fill me just to prepare for what you want to do. In the authority of your name, Jesus. Amen. Did you all um, do the mirror thing? Those of you that were here last week, how did the mirror treat you? You lived? You're still... Maybe that's why we're so empty. <laughs> Some didn't live through it. The mirror was just too much. Uh, was anybody radically blessed with the mirror thing? Did the Holy Spirit meet you in it? It's kind of silent. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it alone. We'll let the mirror be your intimacy thing. We won't talk about it in public. <laughs> I'm actually going to start this morning um, by um, going back to something I talked about last week. And um, I don't know, we'll call it a self-correction or a, a clarification. Because I, I believe that everything I said was the truth and that God wanted me to say that, but I believe the Lord also showed me I left it out of balance. So we're going to return to something. Um, we're going to say it again, and it's actually perfect. It's going to lead us to something I believe the Lord wants to do this morning. So you remember last week we looked at, um, I think, I should have looked up the chapter. I think it's Romans 7, if somebody wants to verify that for us, too, where Paul has the whole conversation where he says, I, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't. The frustration conversation. I can't, okay, Romans 7? Cool, you guys are a bunch of scholars. That's awesome. Um, and what we pointed out in that is that Paul is unwilling to identify with his old man, right? And why, why did we say that, he, that he's so unwilling? In fact, literally, he says, um, if I sin, it's not me that does it. That's how unwilling he is to identify with the old man. We've also said for weeks in here that, that God, the Father, God does not fill the old man with the Spirit. In fact, he doesn't, he, it was never his plan. He doesn't put new wine into old wine skins. He doesn't fill the old man. Now, here's where I have to clarify. We also said that he's not interested in working on the old man, and we looked at that in the Word of God. And this, this connects to the warfare over our identity, right? So what's Paul doing? He's saying, I am not the old man. So much so that when I sin, it's not even me. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ, period. I'm new. That's why you must be what? Born again. You have to be completely new or you're not fitted for the Spirit of God. The Word of God is very clear. And so last week I said God's not even interested in working 
in, on the old man. We also we looked at scriptures that said he's not in the business of patching us up. It's right in that wineskin passage. You'd never put a new patch, new material to patch an old garment. He's not patching up your old man, right? But now here's where I've got to clarify. Because it's possible to take what we talked about last week and walk away with the idea that he's not interested in working in the darkness revealed when your old man in the warfare tries to manifest itself, right? And that would not be right. That would actually leave us, the, in fact, it would, it's not just neutral, that would be a harmful thought, right? We have to understand that where God works works most powerfully where his transformation for us is is in the darkness is that right literally and we're going to talk about some of that today um in fact what is it in the in the first chapter of the gospel of john what does it say it's talking about jesus it's identifying jesus as eternal god Right? I was there in the beginning with the Father, and after identifying him, immediately what does it say? That the light shone in the dark, and the darkness could not overcome it. Right? So, in other words, the very place that God is active and powerful in, transform in setting free the identity of your new man is in the darkness. In fact, in the very first verse of the Bible, <laughs> what does it say? Where does he work powerfully? In the darkness. There was darkness upon the face of the deep, and it was void. It was dark, right? And there is where he says, let there be light. So it's very important to understand what's the distinction. And this is going to take us where we're going. The distinction is um, that you are not to identify with your old man, okay? So much so, stubbornly, like Paul, it's not you. Go ahead and say, that's not me. Okay? And that's critical. Because if you think he's patching up your old man and, and, and trying to fix it up and put a fresh paint job on it and stuff, you will not be thinking like God thinks. The old man was crucified with Christ. And we're going to look at that in the word of God. But now, now the new man. Your real identity, the work of Christ set you, set you free, gave you a new identity, made a new creation, made you the righteousness of God. He's very much interested in working there. So um, I'm going to use something um, that I'm pretty much stealing from my wise wife. Um, she's a counselor, and um, throughout the years, she's, I've heard her say this metaphor um, the dashboard or the instrument panel, right? So your, your car has an instrument panel. Now, when the instrument panel throws a warning light, is there anything wrong with the instrument panel? No, in fact, it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do, right? When it indicates something's not right, okay? Is there something wrong with the car? Or is it, well... Assuming the instrument panel's not bad, is there something wrong with the car? Okay, so the instrument panel is very, very important, right? And so it is very important to pay attention when, when God brings us into an awareness of old man stuff. In other words, we're, a warning light is being thrown, then it is very, very important to pay attention to what's going on, right? In fact, it's the gift of God that the light comes into the darkness and exposes it, 
right? So now we're balancing the truth. Never, ever identify with the old man. In fact, I would suggest to be like Paul, who says, when I sin, it's sin living in me. It's not even me. And it's so important. It's so, it's so important that you, that you have that royalty. You see, you see if, you, if you think that sin living in you is you, you will have a very hard time living in a place where, where you say, I am the beloved. I am the son. I'm the bride of Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. All the things that are true about what? Your new man, the identity that the work of Christ gives you. Right? You identify with that. And when you see the old man, what? You've got something to crucify. Right? Um, go with me to uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 17. And this is just leading us into, I promised you last week it would be really practical. And we're going to get more practical. Um, next week we're going to be just literally practical if we go according to plan. <laughs> I see you laughing. I just keep I just keep getting more and more poured that I, I feel like we have to understand. Um, Galatians two seventeen. Okay, here it says, but if we, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. So if we're found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Now listen, and it, and it says, of course not, or certainly not. Okay, in other words, what, is he a minister to your old man? No, he does not minister to your old man. He puts it to death with your cooperation. You see that? That's what that's saying. Okay, then it goes and says, for if I build again those things which I destroy, now he says, notice when he uses the word myself, I've found that he's usually talking about the new man. He says, I make myself a transgressor. In other words, you got it? Now you have this high responsibility to what? To steward a new identity, to steward a new creation. So he says he's promised that he gives the Holy Spirit to have power to rule over the old man. And we're going to look at that in the word of God. It is actually the enemy who wants to use the voice of the old man who is not even you anymore. And you're supposed to rule over that. And he says, when I resurrect, you know, the, um, the kingdom of darkness wants to have some resurrection too. Did you know that? <laughs> the enemy is always trying to resurrect old man junk so that your new man is not free to carry the glory of God and be powerful. I'm still teaching about warfare, even when sometimes it doesn't seem like it. You're made for power. And the old man having a louder voice than the identity of the new man will steal your power. And it'll make the new identity, what does it say? Somewhere else, I have no idea where right now. It says we crucify Christ again when we have resurrections of the old man who should be dead once and for all because it's on the cross with Christ, right? Now, he loves you that much. He's perfectly willing to crucify the old man out of you over and over and over again. He does love you that much. He'll never give up until the old man is as dead as dead gets and has no voice in your life. You got it? Okay. Goes on and says, um, 
For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You see, there it is. It's, it's no longer I who live. The old man is not even alive anymore, but, but the life of Christ in me goes on to say, and the life which I now live in the flesh, what does it say? Where am I? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now that's what we're going to talk about today. The life that I now live is a life by faith who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith in what? Now, who said, what was that? Faith in the Son of God. That's it. That's it. Now listen, I know that in our mind, everybody in here, maybe there's an exception, but everybody in here believes in Jesus. And in your mind, you know he did a work that gives you a new identity. You know that, right? But now, now listen to me. This, and we're going to see this in the word of God, but this is talking about the life I now live. This is Paul who's perfectly willing to have a Romans chapter 7 struggle right in front of you, who writes this and says, um, the life I, I now live is by faith in the Son. Now I want to tell you, he's talking about He's talking about a faith that goes to the heart, and I'm going to show you that in the Word of God. And it's not just faith in Jesus. You know that he is. You know that he did a work. But how much do you know, really, that your new identity is who you are? And I want to tell you that's the warfare. If we ever had a revelation, a full revelation of what the work of Christ does to set free a new identity, the war would be over. And it is directly related to your power. And I'm going to show you that today. The power that God intends for you to have. Verse 21 goes on and says, I do not set aside the grace. Remember, the word grace actually means power. Specific power. Power for what? We've said this before. Grace is power to live out of the new identity. That's what the word grace is. It's not just power for anything, and it's not the same thing as mercy. The word is charis. It's a power to live out of what God says about you now in your new identity. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Do you know what that just said? It said, the best you can do from the old man leaves the work of Jesus completely in vain. You recognize that that is an identity conversation. Okay. That's my introduction. Right, now, listen, I'm going to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 just, just for a moment. And I'm purposely going to try to leave tons of time at the end, because I believe the Lord wants to just have a time for us to receive something from him and be changed. Do you believe that too? Okay. Here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we read this one last week too. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? You got a treasure. You know you got a treasure? Here's the treasure, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, the, the old man was convinced that the power that was necessary, I've got it. 
That's old man stuff. The new man is absolutely certain that I got nothing, right? That the power of God, what does that say? I'm going to read it again. The excellence of the power. So God does want you to have power. You see, it says right there, it's just implied. The excellence of the power, the treasure in you may be of God and, and not of you. It's God's power. Something far beyond the dim glory that you have, right? But now here's why we're reading this. And we, we're going further than we did last week now. Verse 8 says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, because of the prose or the way that's written, you probably are very familiar with what I just read. And so we focus on that part. But I'm going to tell you, that's, that's Paul just... Um, actually, which book are we reading in here? Corinthians. That's, that's Paul just setting up, um, just introducing what he's really got to say, which is just next. And it says, now listen to these words. It's so important to take us where we're going. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that odd? That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. What's that saying? We're always carrying about. In other words, how does the miracle happen? We're going from glory to glory. I was going to start with that scripture and didn't. How do we go from one glory to the next glory? How do we more fully release the truth about the new creation, the new identity? How does that miracle happen? You know that is a miracle. It's not possible for you just to go, well, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to step on up into the next glory now. You know you can't do that, right? That's a miracle. That's impossible. And God does the impossible all the time. So how does he do that? Well, one way is agreeing like Paul did, like we talked about last week, agreeing that I have a new identity, I'm not that old man. And that is what this is talking about. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. In other words, making sure the old man's dead. You have no voice in my life. And it gets more clear as we go on. Verse 11, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Doesn't that seem out of place? I mean, Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it more abundant. So what's this Paul guy talking about? We're always delivered to death for Jesus' sake? It's obviously talking about the old man. Jesus said, darkness has nothing in me. It's only to be put to death, right? That the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do next. We're going to talk about obedience. This was all just to get us ready to talk about obedience. When I say the word obedience, do you have wonderful, happy feelings? <laughs> I'm going to, you should, I'm going to tell you why you don't. Um, because I think what we do is we go with a Webster Dictionary understanding of obedience and commands, and we don't go with the biblical one. We don't go, it's what I say all the time. Do you know if you interpret anything from the Word of God or your interactions with God, uh, not fully... Um, Fully in the flow of his love, you have misinterpreted it. Like, I'm not saying sometimes you might. If you're not 
imperfect love, if you're not, if you're not flowing in love in Christ, I'm not saying it's possible you'll misinterpret. I'm saying you did already misinterpret whatever God's trying to do with you or whatever you read in the word of God, you just misinterpreted. Because he, he is love. He's, he's nuts about you. He's totally nuts about you. So everything that he wants to do in your life happens in the atmosphere of love. So I'm going to tell you what obedience is before we even move on. Um, have you, you all have been some, well, no, that's probably not true. You've at least heard of where you go to like one of those team building places or some camp where, where somebody stands on the platform, right? And the job, it's, there's people down there to catch you and you're supposed to stand, you know, you're looking over backwards and you're supposed to just, the trust fall or what do they call it? Does somebody know what you call it? Huh? Crazy. It's called crazy. I just heard up here in the front row. So obedience, that is a picture of obedience. And I'm, I'm going to show it to you in the word, I think. <laughs> obedience is the fall, the trust fall backwards into love. Do you feel better about the word now? <laughs> it's so important because I want to tell you what I'm going to show you. And I need to move. We're going to go into Hebrews now if you want to start flipping there. Um, but Hebrews talks about obedience, and if you don't have, have an understanding of obedience from an understanding of love like that, you're going to miss. <laughs> you are. You're going to think that he has commandments. Um, what does the, the Great Commission say? He says, go make disciples, and what? Who's got it? Teaching teaching them to obey or observe all that I've commanded. It's kind of like, ooh, so we're supposed to make a bunch of slaves of Jesus out there. But see, that's an interpretation out of love. What is all that he commanded? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I bet all of those answers are almost all of them are right. But I'm going to tell you what he commanded. There are other places that talk about obedience to the faith. I'm not even going to turn there because we really, we really don't have time. But um, there are places that talk about, um, through him we've received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Obedience to the faith. That's all that he's commanded. Obedience to the faith. According to the commandment in another place of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. What is that? I want to tell you what the faith is. You see, we all know that Jesus completed a work. We know that he is, and we know that he completed a work. Obedience to the faith is believing in the new identity. In other words, believing that that work was for me, and it worked. <laughs> that I'm not the old man. That's obedience. That's the trustful. I don't identify with the old man. Oh my gosh, that thing I did was horrible. And I, I repent for that. But it wasn't me because Jesus says, I have been made into the righteousness of God. Not I have some of the righteousness of God or I'm growing into the righteousness of God. The word of God literally says, you've been made into the righteousness of God. Or you wouldn't approach the throne of grace at all. <laughs> You can't be partway or halfway. 
You, you got it? So, um, okay, so go to Hebrews with me. And if you're swimming around, I, I, I believe we're going to pull this together into something that will make perfect sense. Hebrews, um, now I better do this. Um, start in Hebrews chapter 5, and then we're going to back up. How about verse... Oh, let's do the whole thing. Um, verse 6, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6. This is speaking of Jesus as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now think about this. In their culture, a priest really just only had one job. Okay, it's a little different than like a pastor or a shepherd or they really, you know what the job of the priest was? To offer sacrifice, to make continual atonement so that they could be the righteousness of God, right? That's it. That's what they did. And it's talking about him and it says, verse six, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, speaking of Jesus, Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, so in the ministry when he walked in the flesh ministry, he's still here ministering, right? Right, that's, that's his life in you. Okay, in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Now here's why we're reading it, verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Think about that. That's talking about Jesus, the eternal son of God, very God. He learned obedience? That's what that says. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. How did he learn obedience? By the, by the things that he suffered. Now I'm going to show you this. this is, there's freedom in this message. And having been perfected, the word perfected means complete. Having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now that's fruit. <laughs> that's pretty good for fruit from a ministry, right? He learned obedience and having been perfected. The word perfected means complete. What other scriptures do you think of where it talks about being perfected? Perfect love casts out fear, right? Why? It, it goes on to tell us wherever I'm quoting. Here, let me give it to you. It goes on to tell us, perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. You got it? Now listen, if you identify with the old man, there is something to punish. You tracking? But if, you're, if, if like Paul, you only agree with victory and you say, I'm a new creation, do you know that there's nothing to punish? So what does this mean? How critical is it that we have a revelation to where we are coming into the completion of Christ's love on us? Like, you can't, you can't touch Christ's love over me. Do you see it? Okay. To do it, um, you guys doing okay? 
Am I, am I working the brain too hard? <laughs> okay, I tell you, go to Hebrews, go back up to chapter 3. And here's how we're going to do this. I was going to read like chapter 3, verse 7, through chapter 4, verse 7. I'm not going to. It's not going to work out that way. So that's an assignment. If you want to be really blessed, go home or in the next week or whatever, read chapter 3, verse 7, through chapter 4, verse 7. That's what I was going to do. But let me, let me um, do this. Pastor Teresa was talking about um, um, what, what's going on in, in the f- current feast and tabernacles, right? And it, um, it is a picture. The reason they do booths or tents or tabernacles is because it's in remembrance of the fact that they were a journey people. Okay, they moved. They, so what happened? Um, the way we think of salvation in our culture anymore is you, you had that one moment in your life where you accepted Christ as your Savior, you said a prayer, you accepted his work over you, and, and now you're good, and we, we tend to think of it very much that way. And that is true. That's okay. That's accurate thinking. That's, that's perfectly fine. Um, there's more to it, and the way they thought about it was more accurately. They, so in other words, what? God freed them from Egypt. He set them free from the bondage, from the tyranny of this world. They were redeemed, right? And then they had a wilderness journey, the kind of suffering that builds and obedience, okay? But the ultimate plan in the picture of, of his chosen people, you're his chosen people, right? So in the picture, in the Old Testament picture of it, his plan was always to bring them into a rest. It was always, see, salvation for them is an ongoing work of coming into the royalty of being the chosen ones of God and living in rest, Now, I want to tell you, biblically, the word rest is synonymous with power. Do you know that? You see, the whole idea is that he was going to bring them across the wilderness, learning an intimacy with him, which is a gaining of obedience and power. I can see we're going to have to do this again. But he was going to bring them into the promised land. And, And what is that? That is the establishment of a kingdom where we hold the authority and power of this kingdom. That's rest. Okay? And so we're about to look at just pieces of a of a conversation where the writer of Hebrews is talking about you on that same journey and applying the truth of that Old Testament picture onto you, and it tells us something about obedience that's absolutely critical. So he's going on and he's basically saying, let me start... um, Okay, let me start. I'm just going to grab verse 11. Okay, chapter 3, verse 11. God is speaking and says, So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. In other words, that generation, and we're going to look at why, that generation was not able to come into the power that he wanted them to have, to be established as a kingdom, to reign with him in that kind of a power. That's rest. Okay? Verse 12 says, Beware, brethren. Now he's speaking to us, okay? The writer is talking to us, um, New Testament Christians, in other words, and says, Beware, brethren, 
lest there be any of, uh, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So what are we being aware of? Unbelief. Good. You, I totally expected you to say an evil heart, which would be right. And then I was going to say, how is an evil heart defined? Unbelief, okay. Are, are you serious? Isn't an evil heart a heart that is inclined to do evil? Well, yes, but I'm going to show you what this passage says about what an evil heart is. An evil heart is a heart of unbelief. It says, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, just at that moment, I'm going to move quickly. Sorry about that. But just at this moment, remember with me that the war it's a war between two kingdoms. A kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. A kingdom of deceit and a kingdom of truth. Okay? And this, this is saying exhort each other, what? So that you're not hardened in the darkness, the deceitfulness of sin. You know that you're not sin. You were <laughs> but the word of God is very clear that now you're not. That part's dead. You don't even identify with that. It's a deceit. It's, it's a lie for you to identify with something that you're not anymore. Okay. All right, now track with me. Notice, so the, it's a heart of unbelief. And for time's sake, I'm just, give me a moment, I'm going to grab stuff. Now I can't do it. So we're... It's just too good to skip. Go to verse 16. And it says, For who, having heard, rebelled? It's asking the question. Who, having heard, rebelled? Now, this goes back to what I was saying. This is, this is that understanding of how we're growing into the power, how God is saving and saving and saving you from glory to glory to glory, right? Because who was it? Then, it? then it answers its own question and says, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt? In other words, all those who were saved. You got it? Were the ones who died <laughs> in the wilderness. They were the ones who would not come into the power God intended you to have. Say he intends me for power. Yeah, that's rest. All you who are thirsty, come to me and I'm going I'm to make rivers of living water. That's power. That's rest. That's abundant life. All the things that he promised and they didn't enter, even though they were saved from the bondage and the tyranny of the world. It goes on verse 17 and says, Now, with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Now, here it is. Here's, why, here's really why we're reading this. And I promise we'll, we'll move into ministry here. Verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Now, skip to chapter 4, verse 6. Okay, we're just, we're just going to go all the way. No, we can't do that. We can't do that. Chapter 4, verse 1, okay? It says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest. <laughs> it's promised. A promise remains of coming into the power he intends for you. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now listen, verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. You understand what it's saying? The same good news 
is available to you today that they were supposed to come into in that physical picture for them. You got it? Now here it is. But the word which they heard did not profit them. That should make us all shiver a little bit. In other words, they were hearing the word of God and it did not profit them. Do you know that we sit in that same seat today? It is very, very possible for the living, active, sharper than double-edged sword, the word of God, the word of God printed in here, the word of God that he personally speaks to you, can be spoken to you and not profit you. How does that happen? I'm going to show you. Actually, it's right there. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. I should read the whole sentence. It says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, that power. So, um, what belief are we talking about? I want to tell you, it's a very, very specific belief, and we've been talking about it all morning, so I hope you got it. What's the belief? What is the important belief that you've got to have? You're a new man. You're a new man. You see, Christ can complete a work, but unless you agree, <laughs> you got it? Unless you really, um, unless you identify with what he accomplished, and, and that's a miracle, believe me, I know. The wounds, the battering, the warfare over you makes it a miracle to agree that the work of Christ is yours and that you're a new man, a new wineskin perfectly fitted for the Spirit. It does require actual encounters with the love of God to, to um, you know, the idea of the love of God, it's, it's beautiful and all. It's great, but actual encounter with the love of God turns you into a person of faith that says, I'm new, that releases the identity of a new man. You got it? It's, and the reason the word didn't profit them was because, I mean, think about it. They're moving across the wilderness. They've been saved. They've been set free from bondage. No one's going to rule over them anymore. They head out into the desert, and they were not able to enter into the kingdom rest to the power and competence and, and establishment in a new kingdom of the chosen people of God. That whole generation died in the wilderness. Why? They lacked a faith in the love of God, in their sufficiency. They were still being drawn into lust and grumbling over things as, as if the love of God was not theirs. Do you see that? We do the same thing. I'm telling you, that picture is our life. We have to have a revelation. And it is a miracle. We have to have actual encounter with God in the Holy Spirit where his love is revealed so that we have it, so we become a person of faith. You see, so often obedience is thought of as like, like God is like, you better obey me. Like, <laughs> I've got all kinds of things that you need to obey. You need to obey this, and you need to obey that. Obedience to the faith is just this one thing, that he loves me so much that I'm new. 
<laughs> That's it. I'm new. I'm a, I'm a perfectly fitted vessel for the filling of the Spirit, for rivers of living water. I'm intended to be powerful. I'm intended to carry the authority of Jesus and walk in power over a deceitful kingdom of darkness. Only love, only a revelation of love because of actual encounter with him releases that. The enemy is always trying to get you to believe you have something to do with the old man. But Jesus said, darkness has nothing in me. All right, I'm going <laughs> to read one more verse, chapter 4, verse 6, and then I'm going to compare to and wrap up, okay? This verse says, since therefore it remains that some must enter. Say, I'm one of the some. <laughs> I'm entering, okay? I've already, I've already been gaining power. I've gone through so many glories. Um, if you think I'm something now, wait till you see me later. But you should have seen me before. If uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, glory to glory to glory, right? So it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Now, Here's where we, we redefine obedience and disobedience. Do you know which is it? In um, chapter 3, verse 19, it says, so we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Now this verse says, um, and, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. So which was it? Was it unbelief or was it disobedience? Yes. <laughs> right, the answer is yes. And let me tell you why. Disobedience is the fruit of unbelief. You see it? They're, they're not exactly the same thing, but, but they are cause and effect. Okay? Do you understand that if your complete perfect love casts out fear? Why? Because when the love of Christ is complete in you and there's no question about it, you're not inclined to disobedience. Are you tracking? Now, I'm actually going to read this so I say it right. You see, we think opposite God. We say, do what is right and your heart will be, you'll be accepted. Do what is right and you'll be accepted. That's not truth. <laughs> That's actually something the enemy would like you to believe. Because you will, you'll fail that's way. That's why he'd love for you to, to believe that. Because you know, just perform, <laughs> just do righteous things, and you'll be accepted. God says, become accepted, and you will be an obedient one. Become accepted, and you will be one who does what is right. Worlds of difference between the two. Do you see? So it requires a work. It requires a miraculous work to believe, to accept the love of God. And I'm going to tell you that we accept what happens is it's glory to glory, right? So, so we accept the love of God and we're brought to a glory. And it requires another work. And, and 
I can't preach it. I mean, I can preach it. I'm doing that right now. Um, what do I really mean to say? I can't give it to you by preaching it. You, you can't earn it somehow by doing something. It is a miraculous encounter, a work of God by encountering his love that takes you from one glory to the next. That's the only way the miracle works. Because the fruit of unbelief is disobedience. And the only way we believe what he says about us is encounter with him. That's it. We're going to have one in just a minute. I'm going to start, I'm going to start wrapping. So you think about, it says, um, what does he say? If you love me, you'll do what I command. Well, I'm going to tell you what we do. We think he's putting out there like a test or a litmus. Like, if you love me, then, then you're going to prove it by doing what I command. And I'm telling you, that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not consistent with his nature. It's not who he is. <laughs> he's saying, he's saying, if you love me, if you've had intimacy and encounter with me, if you've had revelation of how I am nuts crazy in love with you and the plans that I've, I have for you, if you've had encounter with me like that, then you will be someone who, who walks out the commands of God. Obedience is the result of the revelation of that love. And it's not discipline. It's not like, I am going to discipline myself to walk out the commands of Jesus. Good luck with that. <laughs> that road ends in really bad places because he's not even willing to bless that. It's the fruit of faith from encounter with love that makes us automatically obedient. Are you starting to like the word obedience more? Obedience has fallen off the platform into Jesus, and it's, that's obedience. Have faith. I'll catch you. I picture like it's like 200 feet in the air, and he's down there going, go ahead, I got you. Because <laughs> the gap is that big. We got nothing. <laughs> okay. All right, Blake. Will you come on up? I believe God wants to do something, and so um, I, I even think I know what it is for a change. Um, I'm going to pray for a moment. I'm going to invite you. Actually, before I start, and you can start playing anytime, Blake, um, but before I start, I, I just want to bring up a scripture. I have no idea where it is right now. I think it's Matthew chapter 12, but I'm probably wrong. So... Um, it talks about when demons are removed, when bondage is removed, in other words, in our life. It says that they go out through waterless places, dry places, looking for a place to rest. You notice we're talking the same word, rest. Do you know that whether it's the Spirit of God or whether it's the nastiness of evil spirits who are against the kingdom of God. Whatever spirit it is, it can only come to rest where it finds common ground. You got it? You know how, um, so you imagine people who come into church and they're very, very uncomfortable and then they have to leave. They couldn't, they couldn't find rest, right? Because this, is, this freaks me out that I don't have anything common in this place. And so they end up going out of the place, right? It's the same thing with evil spirits. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit of the living God. They find rest 
where they find commonality for themselves, where they find a place that is fitted for them. The Word of God says that. The evil spirits go out looking for a place to rest. Now, the love of God makes it so we can identify with the new creation he's making in us, right? And so it also talks about evil crouches at the door, okay? So now here's the thing, and, and it's specifically, um, well, let's keep this simple. Evil crouches at the door, why? Because there's a war going on. So um, what do we do to cooperate with God? We have some doors to shut, okay? We have some doors. We have some places in our life where um, we're leaving a, a common ground for evil that is the old man that is we're not supposed to identify with anymore. It's not supposed to be a door. Are you tracking with me? Am I doing okay? Okay, so this is what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to give you time. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to make his presence very real to you right now. Love. Remember, everything happens in an atmosphere of love. And then we're going to ask him to reveal a door. Okay? When we do this, he may show you a picture of an actual door and then begin to speak about it. Okay? Or <laughs> he may just give you a word. He may give you a sense. He may identify for you one way that you are not, he gets to do it however he wants. You know, we're all, so into, we're all so unique, but there's not a person in the room that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to have an encounter with today. Okay, so take some deep breaths. If you're comfortable with it, close your eyes. Come Holy Spirit, we know that you're already here. We know that you promised you'd never leave or forsake us, so there's not a moment ever that we, your beloved, are without you. But we ask you to make your presence really real to us right now. Awaken us to the love in your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Just in case someone's struggling to experience his presence, I'm just going to take a moment and speak some truths. You are his beloved. He chose you. You are the place for his spirit. He is completely in love with you always has been, always will be. He doesn't see a single flaw. He has completed the work to make you flawless.
Now, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak. We ask you, Lord, to um, reveal where we're leaving a door, where we have agreement with the old man, or we allow the lie of the old man. And we ask you whether you show an actual picture and begin to speak through that, or whether you just reveal what the door is, or however you want with each individual. In the authority of the name of Jesus, I bind the enemy to bring any type of confusion or any type of voice on this, and we set apart a sacred space for you, Holy Spirit, to work this morning. We ask you to reveal the door. If you are feeling any condemnation, any guilt, any shame, just take a moment and rebuke it in the authority of the name of Jesus. You have that power because any of that is not the voice of Jesus right now. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal to each one what you want them to do with the door. And finally now, if you haven't already done so and you're comfortable, just to open your hands upwards because you're about to receive something now. We ask Holy Spirit that you would now just speak, that you would speak the love of a new identity, that you would bring in vivid color how you view them and what is the truth of their identity. Jesus. In the authority of the name of Jesus, I seal the work that just happened in this place. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here and that you have just accomplished things. And in the authority of the only name, the authority of the name of Jesus, I bless upon each one what's just happened. And we, we bless it with protection. The evil one can't touch it. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will continue to work in those places. Continue to complete the work that you've just begun. And we thank you, Jesus. Amen.